Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, zooming in from Liverpool, England, is my friend Brandon Kellogg. Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. Hey, Richard. Um, Brandon was on episode 266, so he's returning. That episode was in May 2020, and Brandon's going to talk about his new book called Honorably Excused. And I'll let him introduce that and how to get to it. Um, just a little background on Brandon. I connected with Brandon through Elder Hannes Durant, um, close family friend that was serving in Chicago. And you two connected. And I think that's when I first became Facebook friends. And Hannes has lots of good things to say about you. And you have lots of good things to say about Hannes. And then um, later I connected with you as you'd come in during your missionary service in Salt Lake to the Salt Lake Temple, and I'd see you frequently there. And so I've just had a couple of connections. You were married in um, September of 2019 and then felt impressed to go to Liverpool, England. And maybe that counts as a third connection because I served my mission in Northwest England. And um, why I didn't serve where you are in Liverpool, actually in Crosby, I'm familiar with that area. Um, closest I get was probably Skelmersdale and the Isle of Man on either side of you, but love the people of Northwestern England. And it's cool you're there. Is that okay for an introduction? Yeah, I think that was pretty great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Honor, just introduce this book um, to our listeners. The goal of this podcast, listeners, is just to connect more with you with Brandon's book and potentially buy Brandon's book if you feel impressed. Yeah. So this has been a long time coming. I, I, I've always, I, I guess I never really envisioned myself as an author. I've always wanted to be more of a motivational speaker and musician, but something about honorably excused, the missionary service has been a very growing up. It was a really long and, and rigorous process. Um, part of what in, inspired writing this book was growing up on the spectrum. Uh, when I was seven years old, I was diagnosed with autism. Um, at the time, it was called Asperger's. Um, both have been kind of put together as the same diagnosis since. But because of that, I lived a very different kind of life where the perspective of how the world saw me kind of changed from that point on. I actually remember pretty vividly how people treated me before that, whereas uh, how people treated me after. And I think it definitely affected and influenced some of the things I, I experienced on a day-to-day -day basis. When I finally got into the mission field, which I talk about in my book, it still felt like um, I wasn't truly there, if that makes sense. But for about three and a half years after I turned 18, there was just this, this period of time where it was not really, didn't really feel like an option to be able to serve. So as you might notice on the cover of my book, the name of it is called Honorably Excused, but the picture of it is, it's a, it's a missionary and it has a name tag and the name tag on the missionary says honorably excused. Cool. So it's kind it's kind of an interesting, yeah, kind of an interesting, uh, hook for sure. 
Um, autism at seven, you know, I don't know a lot about autism, so this is helpful for people that have autism and families that have an autistic child um, to hear your story and read your book. And it sounds like at age 18, when you say this three and a half years, was there this period of time where you and your priesthood leaders were and the missionary department was trying to figure out if you could serve and what kind of mission you would serve in? And uh, I sense there was just a bit, a bunch of time there. Yeah, so there is quite a bit of time. I mean, obviously, you have to look at worthiness. You have to look at um, maturity. There's communication. I mean, missionary service is is definitely no no mom's backyard for sure. There's a lot of things that they have to look at. And obviously, there's counsel with the Lord if the Lord wants it to happen. So, I um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that that they had to look at for the missionary department. You know, when when I submitted my papers, I think I was like 19 when I first submitted my papers. Um, my bishop later told me, he said, you know, it took you three months. <laughs> it took you three months to figure out all your stuff and get your papers submitted. I don't know if you realize this, but they do take that into account when they <laughs> when they um, come to your decision. So, but I, I definitely was not ready at that time, but. More to the point, there. I definitely needed more time to understand what I was signing up for. I think when we get baptized, I mean, for many of us that have been baptized at age eight, I mean, the question I always ask is, do we really know what we're signing up, what we're really signing up for when we agree to to get baptized at eight? I think that's something a convert uh, later in life, they kind of have that advantage over an eight-year-old because... uh, I think there's a little bit more of this understanding of, of what they're really, and even then we really don't know what we're truly signing up for. So I'm really grateful that I had the support that I did and the priesthood support from both my stake president and my bishop, as well as the missionary department, who I obviously didn't speak to with personally, but my bishop was very good at um, helping me understand exactly what I was, what I was asking for. But there were many people uh, in my life who, it's funny, actually, I actually mentioned this. There was a priesthood holder I spoke with, and he said, aren't you going to serve a service mission? And I said, what are you talking about? I don't remember ever saying, he says, no, no, I thought you told me that the other day. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't remember telling you that, that, you were gonna, that I was going to serve a service mission. Um, and, and honestly, you know, I also talk about this too, that, you know, whatever, whatever mission you do get called to, regardless of if it's proselyting or service missionary work, or um, whether it's just, uh, you just get called as a ward missionary, or maybe you don't even get a calling and you just get honorably excused, um, that your offering has been accepted by the Lord by your desire to serve. And I, I like I said, I talk about that a lot in my book and I was, I was not going to let I will say, admittedly, looking back, excuse me, I think having a rejection letter would have really had a psychological effect on me where it really would have made me feel like a failure. And for a while, when I got honorably excused from Chicago, I did feel like that. And so I I talk about this from a perspective of having been a missionary, but also as somebody who was honorably released and then had to find exactly what it was the Lord wanted for me after three months in the proselyting world. Because 
when you serve and when you get to come home early, you know, there's this, there's this, um, this stigma that, that we must have failed the Lord's the Lord somehow. And in my experience just says that that's not true, that when he brings us home, if it's not something we did wrong, then it's on purpose. It's, it's no accident. And I touch about a lot of those things within the book itself. And so listeners, you're picking up a little bit of Brandon's story, just that he served for three months in Chicago, came home for a period of time, then um, served in Salt Lake where I connected with you. I think you ended up serving two years. Um, yes. It was over a period of more than two years. Um, and um, but in, but you've chosen to write a book not about directly about your experience, although your experience, I assume, is weaved in the book. But this whole idea that a group of worthy Latter-day Saint men and women are honorably excused some missions in the first place. Talk to that group. I mean, talk to listeners that wonder if that's their best path forward as a committed Latter-day Saint is to be honorably excused. Is that something they decide for themselves? Is it something the Lord tells them? Is it something a priest leader tells them or the missionary department tells them? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I actually learned a very powerful thing on my mission. And this was probably maybe like within six or seven months to go. I was serving on the third floor at the family history library. And the senior sister said to me, cause I, I was talking about going home and you know, I, I, when, when you get to that point in the mission, you start to think about what's going to happen in a few months. And I mean, seven months is a long time, but it doesn't stop a missionary from really starting to think about what's going to happen from, from now. I remember she said to me, so what do you want to do when you go home? What are your plans? And I said, well, I want to go to BYU. I want to get a major in uh, religious education. And I started going down the list. I want to get married. And she said, no, that is not what you want. Now, I was so baffled. And she said, what you really should want when you go home is to do the will of the Father. If you do the will of the Father, you will find that you will be happier than any other path you could have chosen. My advice to the brothers and sisters that are kind of unsure about the route that they have, that they should go, whether it's what he wants or whether it's what they want, would be to think about what his will is for each and every single one of you. I remember when I came home from Chicago, my state president released me as a missionary, and I could feel the mantle just release. And it felt, I was actually really sad because I loved feeling that feeling. But he looked at me and he said, from this point forward, you are now a return missionary. And it just felt so, I, I actually felt like, what? He says, you can date, you can go to school, you can try to go on a service mission. You can, he gave me my options. Like, I'm just like, this, this has only been three months. What is, what is going on here? And I've been in that situation. Like you've said, there's plenty of, of uh, elders and sisters and, and uh, brethren and sisters that, that go through this. And sometimes that time gets abruptly cut short by a visa transfer or uh, they come home medically. 
And uh, suddenly it's not 18 months or two years. It's now nine months or three weeks or, um, you know, so it, it just depends on, on every single person. But in my experience, if the priority is to build the kingdom of God, as it says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you then I believe and I know without a shadow of a doubt that the things that you've been wanting marriage and um, a happy, successful life, those things will come as you strive to build the kingdom of God. Is life easy? No. I mean, it's not, it was not meant to be easy, but when I prioritize my wife, when she prioritizes me, when we both prioritize the Lord, it has really proven that we will find the success that we've been looking for. So I think simply put, do you serve a mission? Do you find a job, a better job? Do you, do you date, um, you know, find better ways to magnify your calling? Honestly? Yes. I mean, the answer is yes. So whatever is appropriate, if you, it's so customary. You know, I, you know, I, I'm thinking about trying to answer this question. And I think about when people ask people like Elder Holland, like, how do you receive personal revelation? And I, I don't really hear a specific answer. It's, it's really, I think there really is because there isn't really a specific answer that applies to everybody. Uh, and one, something I've heard him say will be like, well, if it's good and if it entices you to do good, then it's from God. And if it doesn't entice you to do good, it's probably not from God. Like it's, it's really hard to tell people, well, he'll speak to you through feelings or he'll speak to you through words or because it really is different for everybody. So I can't really give a specific answer to the elders and sisters and the brothers and sisters that are um, going through each and every single individual circumstance simply because um, there isn't one answer that fit, that works for everybody when it comes to how they should move forward. If that makes sense. That does. I love what you've said. And I love that sisters counsel to you, um, do father's will. And sometimes we get caught up sort of in the culture expectations for us. Like maybe you mentioned like going to BYU, getting a degree here, a degree there. And, and maybe cultural expectations are really, you really feel is your path, but sometimes I think the culture drives our decision or expectations of others about us or expectations we put on ourselves because we want to fit in the culture. And I love you kind of stepping back and saying, let's do father's will. And father's will may be different than the cultural expectations for us or family expectations, but that would be consistent with what Elder Holland teaches. Brandon, when I think of honorably excused, I'm thinking more of that title of your book because it's a phrase that's been around church for a while. And I usually probably think it applies to people that would like to serve but can't serve because of health or emotional reasons. Um, and And then I've thought of a third group of people that can serve um, their health would allow them to serve and their emotional health would allow them to serve, but actually feel it's not their path to serve. Um, but we've never kind of 
use that label on that group of people that just feel their path as a committed Latter-day Saint is to not serve a mission and sort of said, you too are honorably excused. I don't know if you get into that in your book or if you have any thoughts on that, but I'll let you go with it. Yeah. So it's actually funny. I was, I, I love, I love this subject. I talk about it all the time. Uh, and I, and I talk about this in my book very much. So there are, I will say that quite a bit of it, probably about 70% of it. I'm talking, I don't want to say it's an autobiography because it's not, but I talk about a lot of my life story, um, from, from just kind of where it, where it's really relevant to where it's re- where it stops being relevant and how it, it a- applies to each and every single one of my target audience, the reader. And, but in between here and there, I explain why my mentality was wrong or right. Uh, I talk about what I believe is piece of doctrine and what is just my conjecture, my opinion. And then I talk about, um, so I would really say it's probably closer to, if we really want to talk about life story, it's probably closer to 25 to 30% with just a lot of things talked about in between. So you, you could suggest that, you know, the first 17 or however many chapters are just my life story. And then the last four chapters are just talking about those people, but really I'm talking to the reader throughout the entire book. And I, and I make that pretty clear right from the get-go that this is, um, this is really meant for people that have gone through this that might need a helping hand on what, what their options are and how the Lord is not disappointed just because they might have had something that didn't go the way they originally thought. I talk about this quite a bit because I don't, I don't think we touch on it enough in the church, but... I don't usually, I've been asked, you know, to give blessings, you know, loads of times from people. And I I don't remember really anything. And I talk about that too, like about just kind of the sacredness behind of, of how that kind of validates my feelings of worthiness. Cause if I'm ever unsure that I'm worthy or not, um, and I try my best, I can just pray. I'm like, Heavenly Father, is this a good time to give a blessing? And if I feel good about it, I move forward with it. And I can tell you right now, when those things happen, it's a great stamp of approval because I don't remember anything I said. But there was one time when somebody came up to me and said, I'm really glad you said that. And I said, what did I say? And they said, well, what was said to this gentleman was that the Lord did not require all men to serve a mission to go to the celestial kingdom. And I started, and I think I looked that up because we know that President Hinckley said, I think it was 2002 when he encouraged and invited all worthy men who could serve a mission to be able to go. And I looked this up and well, the easiest place to find it is DNC section 132. And it says for a man to receive the highest degree of glory, it, um, he is to be sealed for time and for all eternity in the temple of God to a woman or, you know, you know, to the opposite sex. And uh, that is, that is, that is how that works, but nowhere in there does it say full-time missionary service. So I started thinking, so which is it? Is it just serving? Is it serving and getting eternally uh, married in the temple or is it just married in the temple? And, you know, when the prophet encourages and invites us, he's really saying, you know, I think the Lord really wants, um, 
anybody who can to really think about it. Does that make it a commandment? Well, I guess it depends on who you ask. I, I think if the Lord has instructed me, for example, in my patriarchal blessing, that I really want you to serve, you could suggest that it's a commandment, but just for me, because it's my patriarchal blessing. So I really think we have to be careful with um, just with talking about everything that the prophet says is automatically doctrine when really the prophet is very clear when he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. A few years ago when President Nelson announced the name of the church um, and really reiterated that he was very clear that this was the Lord's will. He said that um, the Lord inspired upon my mind that this was a, um, that the name of the church, omitting the sake the savior's name from the church is a major victory for Satan. But he continued to um, reiterate, this is the Lord's will. To my point though, I think that there are a lot of young men in the church that really feel pressured to serve. And I really don't want to suggest that it's the church members or the parents' fault, really, um, for trying to do a good thing and, and to, to help this young man out. But more to that, I think that a lot of young men feel this unnecessary pressure to serve when I, I personally would suggest that they need time to sort out if that is what they want, if that is what the Lord wants from them. I know a lot of people that were my age around the time of 2012, 13, and 14 when I was preparing to serve that went inactive because they really deep down did not want to surf. And they just felt like that they were having too much pressure to serve. And many of them, I, I still talk to on a regular basis, really, really great, nice people. They just not very interested in returning to church anytime soon because they feel like they're going to have to give this long explanation as to why they didn't serve. And really that isn't really my business or your business. It's actually just between him and the Lord. I like that. And I'll just interject an experience I had as I, during my YSA assignment, I met a couple men that were kind of past mission age. They were still active and, one in particular, his name's Adrian, he's allowed me to share his story publicly, he was what I felt was pretty beat up, that priesthood leaders have sort of felt like it was their job to get him on a mission and um, and maybe fulfill expectations that the bishop felt from the family inferred or from the church inferred. And this one young man in particular, I just felt impressed to listen to before I was prescriptive. And over time listening to him, I just looked him in the eye and says, if you feel that is your personal revelation, then I'll support you. I want you to feel welcome in the ward, and I want you to feel like you belong here. I don't want you to feel like a second-class citizen. I don't want you to feel like our relationship is defined by me trying to get you on a mission. And and I lost track of him after I was released. And um, maybe two or three years later, um, back in the Salt Lake Temple where we'd see each other, one day he came in to be married. And he just gave me a big hug. And it was a tender moment for both of us because um, a ceiling, a temple ceiling, is a is an ordinance. A, what do we call that ordinance? A saving ordinance. But serving a mission is. And I think we both felt if I had... Um, and he later, I'm writing a book too that'll be out in the spring. And one of the chapters is sort of honoring people's unique, and he allowed me to share this story in the book. 
Um, but I think it's consistent with what you're saying, Brandon, is Heavenly Father's will. And and sometimes as parents or as friends or even as priesthood leaders, we feel it's our job to sort of, and sometimes those soft challenges can be helpful and maybe be the right thing that gets someone um, to consider something. But we have to be sensitive to that may um, cause a fork in the road that you're talking about with some of your inactive friends. They felt like either they needed to serve a mission or they were not going to fully participate in the church because they just felt like they were second-class citizens and didn't feel they'd ever feel good enough or measured up. So I like your term honorably excused. And I like that we should apply that to ourselves and to others that feel their path is not to serve a mission. I agree completely. I think our attitude towards sisters, I remember coming home from my mission and uh, there was somebody in my ward who was really thinking about going on a mission. And um, her mom uh, was um, very, very mature about the entire situation. And she said, look, you know, if she wants to serve, I'm happy for her. If she wants to go to BYU, I'm happy for her. Whatever she thinks that she needs to do. I think that was such a, a mature approach and the approach that all of us should have. I think that approach is pretty uh, at par for sisters. And I think that that's kind of something we could also think about when it comes to brothers um, and how, yeah, the prophet has asked um, for the young men that are 18, 19 years old to, to really think about it and to really pray about it and to consider if that's what the Lord would have them do. But at the end of the day, it really is between that person and the Lord. So I think that's kind of, I really touch base on that because um, there's just, we've, we've lost too many good people because of a misunderstanding or two about missionary service. And these are just really good, honorable people that um, just like you and I just want to follow our hearts and worship God and that experience is just unique for all of us. I think I said this on the last podcast, but, and I say this in my book, I really wanted this out. I firmly believe that no two roads to the celestial kingdom are exactly alike. By that, I mean, we are going to, for those of us that are privileged to go, and I do believe that many of us will be there. But for those of us that go and make it, we're going to make the same covenants. But we're not going to have, you and I are not going to have the same experiences. You know, we've, we've gone down this path very differently. You know, you are not going to marry the same person I marry. You're not going to have the same problems that I have. You're not going to meet the same people that I'll meet. Um, you're not going to have to learn the same and go through the same challenges that I'm going to have to go through. Um, I'm never going to know what it's like to be physically blind or, or, or to be, um, handicapped in the sense that I can't walk. I mean, there are plenty of people that have to go through that. That is not an experience that I have yet in my life had to go through. But does that mean that the Lord loves you or I any more than somebody else who has those problems? Absolutely not. I, he loves us all equally. I love what you're doing to reach out to our LGBTQ community friends brothers and sisters, because a lot of them feel left behind. They feel as though that members of the church have abandoned them 
from feeling and like you were saying, I, I would not be surprised if many of our LGBT friends feel like second class citizens simply because of um, where they currently believe and where they stand on, on some of their viewpoints. I think that if what somebody is doing with their life eventually leads them to God, I think that is where the focus needs to be. If they are trying to become more like Jesus, we need to encourage and love to be more like Jesus. And however they feel that 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 path is leading them closer to Christ, that doesn't necessarily mean that I as a person have to condone what I consider to be a sin. But at the same time, if I believe that they are finding God, that they are drawing closer to God, then I do believe it is something that I can jump on board with, if that makes sense. It does. Um, we're kind of at the end of the podcast. Tell our listeners where to get your book. We'll put it, listeners, in the yes. show notes so you can see it in the podcast description. But i love to have Brandon tell listeners how they'd get his book. So it's not currently available at Deseret Book yet, but it will be. And when it is, I will have a link to give you to put into the description. But I do have an ebook ready, and that will be on Amazon.com that they can buy. It will just be a digital copy as of right now, and it's selling for $9.99 US or £7.99 if you're buying in Britain. Um, so I will have the link for you. Um, and they can buy it currently digitally. But like I said, it's going to be submitted to Deseret Book. And I'm very excited about hearing what they have to say about, about it. They're, you know, they've only been looking for a very small variety of genres. And thankfully, um, the genre that I have decided to write about is one of them. So I'm very excited about that. But yeah, it will be available on Amazon at this time. Well, great. So listeners, we'll put a link to Amazon or you can search for Honorably Excused by Brandon Kellogg, K-E-L-L-O-G-G. And um, thanks for just your life story, Brandon. Um, it's a it's a great life story. It's a unique life story, but every story is unique. And for sure. And thanks for at a young age having your courage to write a book. There's a lot of voices around you that could say, well, you can't write a book, but you kind of have the feeling that you can do things that perhaps are unique and consistent with your life mission. So keep being you, Brandon. And um, any closing thoughts for our listeners? To all my readers, to anybody, even if you don't read my book, every single story is unique. I, I'm not a rich man. In fact, I, I would always be happy with, <laughs> well, I'm sure we all would with a little bit more financial security, but I think I would be a very miserable person right now if I was working a job that was hours for dollars or working for somebody else. I, my advice to every single one of you out there is follow your passion. We all have one. Um, follow your dreams and um, learn and discover what they are. And don't be afraid to take risks because life is a risk. And that's probably the best thing I could say. That's great. So listeners, thanks for joining us. This is Brandon Kellogg from Liverpool, England, and Richard Osler from Salt Lake City signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>